respectfully mind your business. I was just <laughs> going to say that. You stole the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, mind your business. Mind your business. The only way you can support people, like stop trying to feed people. Stop right. trying to, I mean, people are like, oh, you need, you're too skinny, so I'm going to feed you. Stay in people, stay in your lane. Right. Stay out of my uterus. Right. Stay out of women's uteri. <laughs> Don't ask them when they're going to get pregnant. Don't ask them why they haven't got pregnant. Don't ask them when they're having another child. Just mind your business. And that is how a community can stay supportive because you don't know what someone is going through. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Living African. Today, we will be talking about fertility and everything that we need to know about infertility as well. So today I have two OBGYN doctors. We have Dr. Tammy Tope Equo and Dr. Nicole Plenty, who are here to talk to us about all things infertility. Welcome to the show, doctors. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So let's just go straight to it. I would like for you both to introduce yourselves to the audience, and I will start with you, Dr. Equo. Hello, my name is Dr. Tammy Tope Equo. I am a practicing generalist OBGYN here in Houston, Texas. I've been practicing in Houston since about 2015. I am passionate about everything OBGYN, so I do obstetrics and gynecology. I take care of patients from the moment they start their periods until the moment they go through menopause and after. So I enjoy all things when it comes to women's health. Awesome. Thank you very much. And uh, what about you, Dr. Plenty? Sure. Thanks for having me. I'm Nicole Plenty. I'm a double board certified OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist. I'm based out of Katy, Texas. I've been here for almost two years now. Um, before I was uh, here, I was the uh, division director at Community Health Network in Indianapolis, Indiana, where I practiced for three years. I, I am very passionate about helping moms get safely through pregnancy. I had a cousin that passed away due to complications of pregnancy at the age of 23. And so for me, it's personal. I want to make sure that moms and babies both get safely here. Yeah. I hate when I have a mom that passes away or a baby that passes away and you have a mom that has no baby. So for me, making sure that I am giving people the tools that they need to get safely through pregnancy. I'm a podcast host. I host Pregnancy Pearls with Dr. Plenty as a way to help people get and gain more information about ways they can reduce their maternal mortality rate. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. You both are doing such great jobs. And I mean, Dr. Echo, you are actually my OBGYN. You're like really great. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's been so great having you. And so I just want us to start by, you know, understanding the concept of fertility or rather infertility. So what will you think, Dr. Equo, how will you define infertility? So the Technical definition of infertility is a couple's inability to conceive after 12 months of trying, actively trying, and over the age of 35, six months of actively trying without successfully conceiving. Right. Well, thank you very much for that. And so when people always think about fertility, they always think about, you know, 
basically when a tr- when a couple is trying to conceive the first thing they think about is oh the woman the woman has an issue right yeah so i would direct this question to you dr plenty what do you think the ratio of fertility between men versus women is just to give a general insight about the fact that men also experience infertility so uh sure you know it takes two to tango right so there are two parts to have a baby you you get 23 chromosomes from mom you get 23 from dad and everybody always points the finger at the woman when men make up 48 percent of the cases of infertility so the Infertility rates for men and women are almost about the same. So we need to, when we're going through fertility workups and when I do preconception consults, I always tell moms, like, these are the things you need to do to optimize your health, but these are the things he needs to do to optimize his health too. And it's important that he has his sperm motility checked and his sperm count checked because he may have an issue with with his sperm Uh, and it may have nothing to do with, with the woman. And I've seen people not be pregnant for years on the end mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they do a workup and oh lo and behold he has a low sperm count but never wanted to do a sperm sample right you know, that right. test both parties right right and i would only imagine that you know for most men obviously have to go to i believe they are urologists to to check themselves out right they typically don't come to the OBGYN. that's a misconception actually okay when i have patients who come in for infertility workups i actually give both of them because typically they come together sans covid i you can we give the order for the man to get a sperm um semen analysis and so typically we'll get those results and yes if something comes back abnormal, mm-hmm. then they need to see the urologist. Okay. So we do try to make it as easy and convenient as possible. So they're not having to a seek out a doctor before getting the semen analysis. Cause a lot of times men are very apprehensive to partaking in the infertility workup. Mm-hmm. So most OBGYNs will give a, the order for the semen analysis. Right. Thank you very much. And talking about, you know, uh, the inconsistencies that the men experience, for example, I would really love to, for us to talk about like some of the common fertility issues that you both experience among men and women. So I would love to know what you have to say about that, Dr. Equo. Oh, so it's it's a broad range, but specific to our African-American community, a lot of times one of the biggest issues with the female is can be fibroids, mm-hmm. but there's lots of reasons where a person can have infertility, as Dr. Plenty said. For the man, it's the male factor. So issues with sperm, whether it be low sperm count, abnormal motility or shape of the sperm. If the man has had some kind of testicular surgery in the past. So with the man at the end of the day, it has to do with his semen and then with with his semen analysis rather. And then for the female, there's lots of different things because you take into consideration in order to get pregnant, you need an egg, you need your fallopian tubes to be patent and then the uterus. So you have to take into consideration things that can affect each of those can affect fertility. So whether it be with regards to your, your ovarian reserve, you know, your age, did you wait till your mid forties to attempt to start getting pregnant? How well are your ovaries producing eggs? A person who's had history of STDs in the past could potentially have what we call tubal factor Mm -hmm. where their one or both tubes are blocked when it comes. And I'm just giving broad examples because there's lots of reasons for infertility. But for when it comes to the uterus, you can have fibroids that make it difficult to get pregnant or an abnormal shaped uterine cavity that obviously you wouldn't know until you start trying to get pregnant and they start doing testing and then and they notice that the the shape of your uterus is a little different. So there's many different causes of infertility. But at the end of the day, it takes a man and a woman to mm-hmm. figure out who is the the cause. And at sometimes you can have male factor and female factor. Right. Right. Well, thank you very much for that resourceful information. Now, Dr. Plenty, I was going to direct this question to you in terms of the risk factors for infertility in men versus women. What do you have to say about that? And also, does the lifestyle play a role in infertility? 
Yeah, lifestyle plays a big role. So when it comes to female infertility, I mean, PCOS is one of the leading causes of infertility. And people get PCOS because it's basically they have these whole bunch of plethora of eggs that are trying to go down into one funnel at the same time. Things that can increase your risk of not ovulating, like obesity and, you know, poor diet, that can aid to that problem getting pregnant. Metabolic syndrome dealing with PCOS also hinders people from getting pregnant, which is when you have um, high triglycerides as well as prediabetes or even diabetes in itself. Those things aid to people having issues with fertility. So if you can do things to reduce your risk of obesity and reduce your risk of diabetes, you are going to help increase your risk of fertility. In terms of males, you know, men are constantly making sperm, okay? Mm. And so risk factors for them, obviously, if they have a testicular injury, testicular cancers, if they have epididymitis or inflammation of that tube that's carrying the sperm down, that can uh, play a part in the motility of the sperm. And then some people are just predisposed to have a lower testosterone level and things like that. And so they may need to get testosterone replacements. So there are a lot of environmental factors that can happen. I always tell people to try to be the healthiest version of themselves, and that will help with their fertility in the end. Meaning if you have diabetes or if you have, which diabetes plays a role in male male fertility and libido as well. So if you have diabetes, making sure your hemoglobin A1C is controlled and at 6% before trying to be pregnant. If you are obese, um, losing as little as 10 pounds can help with increase your ovulatory chances. If you are hypertensive, making sure that your blood pressure is well controlled before you get pregnant and that you're on medicines that are pregnancy safe um, would be important things that can help increase your fertility or the chances that you get pregnant. Right, right. Thank you very much. This this just popped up into my head right now because I know that there's such a, there's kind of this, I'd like to say this impression that erectile dysfunction causes, like, can lead to male infertility. Is that true? I mean, if you can't get an erection, right. then you can't ejaculate. So, I mean, right. yeah, it, it is a cause of male infertility. I mean, anything that's going to stop you from either ovulating or having an abnormal ejaculatory process is mm-hmm. a cause of infertility. That can be external or internal factors. Those factors can also be psychological. And so yeah. sometimes there's a psychological issue there, depression, anxiety that cause decreased libido. Mm-hmm. So if you have erectile dysfunction, anything that decreases your libido is going to stop you from having sex or at least stop you from having a normal ejaculatory process. Right. So yeah, it, it can cause you to have, that could be a male factor of infertility. Right. Thank you very much for that. Now, growing up in Africa, I mean, I grew up in Africa till my teenage years before I moved over here. There were some diseases that were very common in our childhood, like mumps. I'm not sure if you both are familiar with that. I'm not sure if Dr. Ikwa, I'm not sure if you ever lived in Africa, but no, I was born here. <laughs> right. But yeah, so the mumps, I think it's kind of, I believe it's an infectious disease, but just one of those things that if you have, you're immune to it you know, for life or something like that. But I had come to understand, I think I read something, I think, I don't even know if it's a credible study, but it's stated that men who had mumps, some men who had mumps during childhood could potentially, the mumps could lead to sterility. So I wasn't sure if you guys looked much into that or what you can say about I can't really touch on that, unfortunately, because mumps is something that, you know, here in America... Because most children get vaccinated against that when they're very young. It's not even a disease that is common mm-hmm. at this well, point in time. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it, it, it's a disease that probably will come back, right? Because, you know, we are vaccinated for measles, mumps, and rubella. And now we're seeing a rise in measles because we have a whole bunch of people that don't want to be yeah. vaccinated. Right. Yeah. And so it wouldn't be impossible for us to start seeing cases of mumps again. Um, yes, mumps can cause arthritis or basically inflammation like the testicular area, Mm -hmm. and it does decrease fertility, but it's not necessarily like sterile. Um, There's about 50% of men that report decreased sperm counts because of mumps Mm -hmm. uh, worldwide. Um, I don't know. I can't quote you in terms of if that means that they are completely sterile. They probably have so much of a decreased 
sperm count that they have to have some type of artificial insemination right. or their, their mates do um, to get pregnant just because they don't have a normal number mm-hmm. of sperm. But it does decrease your sperm count, which can then uh, thus decrease your fertility if you had mumps. But like I say, that's the, the thing that I remember from med school is, is about half. Okay, so. Okay. Yeah, I mean, this definitely goes to, you know, especially our brothers in Africa who don't really take, because some, most of the times we take the vaccines really late in life after we have actually had that natural immunity to it anyways, because we, of course, have it. I, I believe I had it, actually, when I was growing up. But it's very contagious, too, because I remember, like, all of us had it at home or something like that when we were really very young. But it's something that, you know, especially our younger brothers in Africa should be very mindful about and to prevent so it doesn't Im- impact them, you know, when they grow up and want to conceive with their partners. Now, I just wanted us to touch on a few myths or maybe facts that surround trying to conceive and infertility, especially the common ideologies that circulate within our communities. And I'm talking about the African and Black communities as well. So there's this ideology that, you know, especially people who are trying to conceive for a long time, they get very anxious and, you know, sex is not even enjoyable anymore. It's just all about, you know, let's just have this kid. So, you know, there's pressure on both ends. But there's this ideology that if you just relax, you're going to get pregnant. Is that true or is that is there anything to that? That doubles back to the definition of infertility. So, yes, when I have a, you know, a young female or a couple that comes in and they've been trying for one or two months, relax is not necessarily the term that I would use, but I would tell them, yes, you need to be actively trying for 12 months before you consider yourself an infertile couple. And when I say actively, I've said that word multiple times. The reason I say actively is a lot of times people will come in and say, oh, I haven't been on birth control for the past two years and we haven't gotten pregnant. I can't get pregnant. But then when you get down to it and you start asking them questions about how frequently they have intercourse and when they're having intercourse, then you realize there's only for men, they can they produce sperm all the time. Whereas for female, there's a short period of time, which is called our ovulatory window that we can get pregnant. So if you're having intercourse all the time, but you're not in your ovulatory window, you're technically not trying. So that's why you have to, when patients come in, that's my first question is, are you actively trying or are you just concern because you haven't had an oopsie or you haven't had a scare. So I typically say for 35 and older, actively trying for six months without being able to conceive or less than 35, 12 months, that's when it's deemed infertility and it warrants a workup. Okay. Thank you so, very much. Let me add. So, so there is some truth to the stress thing though. Okay. Cholesterol synthesis has started and it's triggered by stress. And so when you look at cholesterol synthesis, estrogen and testosterone are made through cholesterol synthesis. So if you have too much stress, you're making a whole bunch of those hormones, which will then negative feedback to your hypothalamic pituitary axis. And then you will stop producing those hormones at a level that you need to have an LH surge or the surge that you need to ovulate. So in terms, stress in itself can prevent ovulation or have you skipping ovulatory cycles. So yes, doing some type of relaxation techniques, making sure you're going to counseling, making sure that you're not anxious while you're trying to conceive and not putting too much pressure on the other spouse is like a real thing. Like you can really stress yourself out and not and make you not ovulate. You have to be doing your due diligence. Like we can't just put it all on you not relaxing as a reason that you can get pregnant if you're not if you're not having sex at the proper time. But if you're stressed out and to the point that you have an aversion to your husband, you don't want to have sex or he doesn't want to have sex because it feels like a task and he can't keep an erection because he's stressed out, then obviously that's going to lead to a problem even if you are trying to have sex during the, your ovulatory phase. So yes, there is some truth to that, but it does take more than just relaxing right yeah do due diligence as well right yeah. thank you very much for that input now we all know even from the days of the bible for those who are christian that you know like abraham had a kid at like what 100 and something <laughs> you know so basically we all know that you know men can like dr echo said men continuously produce sperm and stuff like that but there is this ideology that fertility does not decline with age in man what do you guys have to say about that um, fertility, um, 
So Hugh Hefner was was died with toddlers, and he was old. Okay, men are constantly producing sperm, but the quality of that sperm is going to decrease. So they may be able to get a woman pregnant, but the quality of their sperm is is going to decline significantly, especially once they hit around age forty five. That's why women are more likely to have de novo or brand new autosomal dominant mutations in babies. So are like little people or achondroplasia. That's more, that's an autosomal dominant de novo mutation that can happen just because advanced paternal age. So they start to get into some of these syndromes that you can have. Sperm count does start to de- decline, but yeah, they, they have no problems getting people pregnant very late, 60s, 70s, 80s, whereas women start to struggle once they hit 40. So yes, it declines some, but it's really the quality that starts to decline. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much. Talking about age, especially when it has to do with women, basically there's this ideology that age does not matter for women as long as, you know, when it has to do with infertility, as long as they're under the age of 35 and as long as they're healthy. So women should not worry about, you know, infertility as long as they're young, less than 35. So that is definitely a myth because whether you're 18, 25, and anyone can suffer from infertility as we've discussed that there's different causes of infertility. However, yes, the risk of infertility increases slightly over 35, but greatly over 40. But any woman, regardless of age, is unfortunately at risk of infertility. Right. Okay. Thank you very much. So I know, Dr. Equo, you had previously you know, touched on fibroid. And I really want us to definitely look deep into that because I know a handful of people who have fibroids. And I mean, I personally, I have fibroids as well. And it's something that I feel like it's very important for especially women and maybe men who will be supporting this women to know about. So I want us to really dive deep into it and educate our people about that. So what will you define as fibroids? So fibroids are very common in the African community as well as the African-American community. Fibroids are what we call non-cancerous, so benign smooth muscle tumors in the uterus. They can occur at any age after a female goes through puberty and you can have different number of different sizes, but at the end of the day, they are non-cancerous smooth muscle tumors found in the uterus. Right. Thank you very much. And Dr. Plenty, what do you think are the potential causes of fibroids? And what is the prevalence among women who suffer from infertility? We have no idea why people have fibroids. I wish we knew. I mean, I have five of them right now that I wish I knew how I got. But I don't. And so there's a whole bunch of theories, right? Like can African-American women have more adipose tissue or more fat tissue and estrogen is converted in those fat cells. And so since you have a a lot more estrogen in certain populations, they're going to be more prone to fibroids. But we don't really know like where are the signals on this tissue that causes it to have uncontrolled proliferation, which is this like organized or disorganized bundle of soft tissue. Like we really don't know exactly why um, some women have fibroids and some don't or like what causes it except for the fact that they are hormonally sensitive. And we know that people that are heavier tend to have more fibroids, but even people that are thin can have fibroids. Mm -hmm. So we really don't know. We don't know. The second part of your question was, risk factors just the prevalence like so how common is fibroid among oh. women who experience infertility so fibroids are super common they're they're one it's one of the most common causes of infertility 50 percent of women of childbearing age meaning between the ages of 18 and 45 will have fibroids okay that's just what it is if you talk about women up to age 50 80 percent of us will have fibroids at some point in our lives so it's super prevalent for us to have fibroids when i have an infertility workup most of the time there's at least one fibroid when we're doing ultrasounds on people i'm like well there's a fibroid but it's really small it's not causing any issues and i know it's not their issue but it's still there and so i have to address it so they're very very common but i also see them very, very commonly in people that are pregnant. Yeah. I mean, I have a five fibroids, which caused me to have a very difficult pregnancy and cause compression of veins in my legs. And I had massive DVT and pulmonary emboli. And I still didn't have a problem getting pregnant. I didn't. 
So it doesn't necessarily have to cause infertility, but it can be a cause of infertility if especially if it's there, then you're like, I'm not sure if this is causing this or not, but we need to go ahead and remove these if you're having trouble getting pregnant. Right. Well, thank you so much for that. Now to Dr. Equid, do you think that there are ways to avoid fibroids or or when a woman has fibroids, is there a way for her to maybe manage them to shrink down? What do you think about that? So I get patients all the time that say they've, you know, gone online and they find diets and exercises. Nothing has been proven to prevent fibroids or if you have, there's no holistic approach, unfortunately, to shrink or manage your fibroids. And it goes back to what Dr. Plenty said. We don't even know what causes these fibroids. So at this point in time, there's no natural remedies or anything a woman can physically just do on her own to manage, shrink, or get rid of the fibroids. Right. Now, if fibroids get big enough, they will start to, like, outgrow their blood supply and start to necrose. So that's one thing about pregnancy. Like, when you go through pregnancy, you have this, like, all these hormones that are raging, and then fibroids will grow. And then once you're postpartum, those fibroids do tend to shrink. Some people, they go away. Most people, it doesn't. Some people, they go away. You know, I've had people that have been treated with, like, started, like, straight vegan diets and have had really good results in terms of like their fibroids not growing or they're not getting any more fibroids because we know that fibroids are hormonally sensitive and a lot of the meats that we eat have a lot of a lot of hormones in them unfortunately that's how we mass produce our meats here in america and so they have a lot of hormones so eating organic and eating it you know going on a, a more you know vegetarian diet can be helpful but that's that's not necessarily a remedy there are medicines we can give people to shrink fibroids. We can shrink fibroids by blocking estrogen receptors, mm-hmm. uh, like Lupron blocks estrogen receptors. But that's also not a long term because it also puts you in the menopause. You know, it, right. it stops your cycles because so, it's stopping estrogen. So it's sort of like you treat the fibroids, you get rid of the estrogen, and they shrink. But then you're not ovulating because you got rid of all your hormones. Right. So there's nothing that, in terms of fertility wise, that people can do. Low estrogen diet, yeah, but I mean, other than that, there's because people beat themselves up about fibroids. I'm like, girl, I got them, and I know I was not doing anything to cause myself to have them. Right. So if I can have them, you can have them, and everybody else can have them, and you can be running triathlons and still have them. Right. And we really don't know why in a lot of people. That's rather unfortunate because it's it's. I mean, every almost every girlfriend I have can tell me about their story with fibroids. And talking about the size of fibroids, I know a few people who have actually had surgical removal of the fibroids successfully. And then I know a few people back home, especially, who are very, very hesitant. And I mean, I've met a few doctors who advise against that removal, just all because everyone thinks, you know, like there's very, very high risk, which there is, I believe, of, you know, a hysterectomy or the removal of your uterus, right? So, and that will cause you not to have kids anymore. And so like every woman obviously has that fear at the back of her mind. But I feel like, especially in Africa per se, I mean, I know so many women who have gone without having kids and they're probably already in menopause just because of that fear that they did not want to do the surgical removal of the fibroids. So Dr. Echo, when will you advise a surgical removal like just hypothetically speaking. And why do you think that some women, especially the African women, are very, very hesitant about it, like when it has to do with them losing their their uterus? So I do there and the medical term is myomectomy. And I well, do several sorry. myomectomies a month, several. I have patients that seek me out from all over to come have their fibroids removed. But you have to take it case by case. And the reason is, like Dr. Plenty said, some people have fibroids and they have no issues getting pregnant. So when I'm counseling my patient, I say that if we feel that the fibroids are the cause of infertility, that's when I deem it necessary or potentially necessary to have surgery. And at the end of the day, when we sit down and we talk, I tell them the goal of doing surgery at this point is not to remove all the fibroids. 
The goal of removing the fibroids when it comes to infertility is to remove the ones that are potentially making it difficult for you to get pregnant. And I think that's where this whole fear of having a myomectomy comes from, whether it be here or in the African community. When it comes to the African community, Africans as a whole, I feel like are just afraid of surgery. Yeah. So that's why they're always, yeah. And, you know, I, although I was born here, I'm fully Nigerian. I all of I have lots of family that still live back there. So when it comes to surgery, that's just literally the last resort because they're just very fearful of going under general anesthesia and going under procedure where they might wake up and be told, yes, that they no longer have their womb. But that's when you have to, that's why it's very important, A, to seek out someone who actually knows what they're doing and is well-versed when it comes to myomectomies. Because I tell my patients all the time, when I'm going in there, I'm going in there not to be this superhero and remove all your fibroids, but to remove the fibroids that I feel like are hindering your fertility. I rather leave fibroids behind that could potentially caught if I go after them, cause me to get into trouble, which would end up with you having a hysterectomy. I tell my patients that all the time and they're always very thankful that I'm just completely transparent with them. I've had many cases over the past few months where, yes, I do leave some fibroids behind because they're intertwined with the blood supply. And if going after them can cause it can interrupt the blood supply which or get into bleeding, which can cause you to end up with a hysterectomy. I'd rather just leave them behind because at the end of the day, those aren't causing your infertility. The right. large ones, the ones that were in the cavity, those are causing your infertility. If I'm able to get those out safely, to me, that's the successful surgery. Oh, thank you so much for that. Now, one of the myths that I intentionally did not address was the fact that a lot of people think that once you have a child, it means that, hey, you're just, you're fertile. You don't have to worry about infertility, which I personally, I don't think that that's true because I have a lot of friends who actually have first like one child and are still trying to conceive. And I really wanted to, uh, for us to talk about that because I came to understand that, that, you know, like it's called secondary infertility. Now, Dr. Plante, I would love for you to add more, like maybe give more insight into secondary infertility and if it only happens in women. No, I mean, secondary infertility is a real thing. I just got to talk about secondary infertility this morning. And it's because people think that if they have one baby, that must mean they're fertile. And so they have all the time in the world. And so as we age, we as women have all the eggs that we are born with. And over time, our fertility rate gradually decreases just because we lose an egg every time we ovulate. And so if we're talking about somebody that, you know, had their first child at 30 and their second child at 35 and they're wondering why they can't get pregnant. Well, your egg count is decreased and your egg quality is decreased as well. So there are definitely factors that can change, right? Like what's changed from when you had your first baby to now? Like, have you had surgeries on your uterus? Have you had, have you gained weight? Do you have other medical problems now? So those things do play a factor in secondary infertility. Have you now been diagnosed with PCOS? Do you have diabetes now? So there are a lot of factors that can come into play. Same with males. They're not, they're not off the hook here. I mean, their quality of their sperm is decreasing as well. Um, There are constantly making sperm, but the quality of sperm that they make is decreased. And if they now all of a sudden have encountered some health conditions, they can have issues with fertility as well. Thank you very much. I feel like that's one topic that's not really talked about as much in our communities because a lot of people, I mean, especially, I'm not sure how traditional, for lack of a better word, the African-American community could potentially get. But for us in in Africa, it's like as soon as you're married, everyone already starts asking for when you're going to have a baby. <laughs> like it's, I mean, there's even a song expecting to come to carry the baby in nine months time, <laughs> you know? So that's uh, not just Africans, that's everyone. <laughs> everyone, somebody's child has it doesn't matter if you're Hispanic, it doesn't matter if you're black, right, it doesn't matter. Right, right, right. Like the point of, especially if you're Christian, like, you know, the point of being married is for procreation. To, right, so yeah. As soon as you get pregnant, people are like, when are you going to have a baby? And then when you have a baby, they're like, when are you going to have the next baby? The next oh, baby, God, yeah. Can I breathe, have this baby first? Like, people asked me when I was pregnant, when I was going to have another baby. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have this one? <laughs> right, right. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's like the expectations just never end, you know, but I mean, some people stop asking questions when they, f- they figure out that, oh, maybe you've had enough number of babies that they would expect, but other people just keep asking and asking. So, but the secondary infertility, you know, when a lot of couples get judged for having just one child, especially in the, in, you know, in our community, you know, and, I I just don't think that that's fair. And a lot of people really don't understand because a lot of people, they just can't wrap their heads around why you have a baby and then you just stop having kids, you know, because they feel like, oh, do you guys just, you guys, sometimes they call couples selfish. Like, oh, you just want to have one child and you don't want to, I guess, share the wealth with other children or something like that, you know? So um, I just wanted to... (laughs) (laughs) Right. I just wanted us to highlight how common secondary infertility is when maybe when compared to primary infertility. So people should know that this is something that's real and it's actually common, but I just wanted to know how common it is. I don't know what you have to say about that, Dr. Echo. So I can't give you the actual percentage, unfortunately, but second, right. like Dr. Plenty was saying, secondary infertility is quite common as well. And it just, it has to do with how long you wait between trying to conceive and what different medical issues you might you might go through from the first child to the second child. Did you have your first child when you were 18? And then you, um, you know, with a different spouse, 10 years later, you're attempting to get conceive again. Is it you? Is it the male? So like Dr. Plenty said, secondary infertility is just as real as primary infertility. Right. Thank Let you. me add, like, we have got to stop judging people right. about what they choose for their family to look like. Unless somebody is like paying child support and like helping you pay your bills, then don't judge people if they choose to have one child versus two or three or four children. That's you. Like I'm not in your bedroom. If you want to have six kids and you can't afford all six of them, that's not my business. That's your business. You're the person that has to take care of all six of those children. And your life is going to look a lot different than my life is going to look. And I know how I want my life to look. And my life, you can call it selfish if you want. Like I like nice things. I like to travel and I have my one child and I will probably adopt a second child because I almost died having that one child. And Two is all I'm going to do, okay, period. And people can judge me as I floss in my fly car and I'm traveling while they're taking care of their six kids. (laughs) Go right ahead. I don't care if people call me selfish. I don't care. Right, right, right. Yeah, um, I... Sorry. Sorry. No, I was going to say, people don't really... People should stop asking women and specifically oh why aren't you having more kids or why do you only have one or why do you only have two because you really don't know what a woman goes through right a when they are pregnant as dr plenty has told you her story you don't know what a woman goes through when they're pregnant or to get pregnant and a lot of times people don't realize it's not just about procreating it's not just about having children if you know that being pregnant could potentially take your life. Why would you do that and then potentially leave your significant other or your children without a mother just right. because you want to keep bringing kids into this world? Yeah. So it's a it's it's a personal choice. Like I'm pregnant with my third child yeah. and I'm done after this. And people right. are like, oh, but you should even it out or <laughs> no, no, <laughs> we Yeah, we always said we wanted three. Three was our magic number and we're done. But like Dr. Plenty said, I'm not even done with this pregnancy and they're already asking for number four. But I think it's no one's business how many children a woman and her significant other or a woman by herself decides to have. It's a personal it's a personal choice. Yeah, that's very true. Actually, uh, both of you just addressed what I was going to talk about because there's a lot of societal pressure. There's so much societal pressure that comes from people who probably don't even mean harm you know but i mean to an extent they're just being nosy and concerned quote unquote you know which they're not supposed to be because it's probably it's most likely none of their business you know but i know that all of this especially all of these comments which you know could be thrown at people especially when they don't know what you know the women or the couples are going through behind the scenes it could actually add to that stress and maybe even 
make their mental health worse than how it is because most of those people could be going through depression and every other thing that you know is under the face of the sun so I wanted to know if you know mental health plays a role in infertility I mean mental health plays a role in infertility in a a number of ways one I've already talked about the stress and the hypothalamic pituitary axis Um, meaning the stress causing a negative feedback on it, which thus reduces your hormones. But if you're not happy, you're not going to be in the mood to have sex. Okay. If I'm depressed, don't touch me. So (laughs) yeah, mental health is a big factor in just like getting pregnant, getting in the mood and making sure you have normal sex time. Like let's talk about the basics of that. But in addition, there are some medicines and antidepressants that people can take that also decrease their sex drive. So if you don't have a sex drive, ain't no sex happening (laughs) you can't get pregnant without sex okay so that's how uh mental health uh, can play a role in that like just cut and dry right do you have anything to add about that dr equo I agree with Dr. Plenty 100%. A lot of times, and and I know when when we were talking about, oh, just relax, and I say, oh, I don't use that terminology. But at the end of the day, you do, I use similar terminology when women come in, because if you're constantly harassing each other about, oh, let's have sex to get pregnant, it takes the joy out of it. And sex should be enjoyable Enjoyable. (laughs) when it becomes a job (laughs) and no longer enjoyable you don't want to do it you try to avoid doing it and avoiding having intercourse you're not going to get pregnant so at the end of the day when you put too much stress on anything in life and it's not enjoyable you don't want it we're not gluttons for punishment so you don't want to do something that at the end of the day you're like oh she just wants me because she wants my sperm no man ever you know no man is going to be turned on by that and vice versa no female is going to be turned on by that when she's constantly being pressured by her partner just to let's lay down and have a baby so you just have to yes at the end of the day you do just need to relax and have fun with it right that's also why I say when I'm counseling on conceiving it's not necessary to have sex every day or 10 five five ten times a day because it it adds too much stress to it once every 48 to 72 hours is more than sufficient in your ovulatory window to conceive because sperm can sperm typically lasts in the female's genital tract 48 to 72 hours yeah thank you very much for that now i want us to digress just a little bit and talk about you know the current issues that we're facing especially in the last we've faced this well we're still facing this with covid in the last maybe two years a year and a half we basically live in unusual times and everyone is living in fear you know not the fear of the unknown especially when it has to deal with the covid19 and so i wanted us to talk about the covid19 vaccine and pregnancy or infertility because there are so many myths and so many you know ideologies out there that people make up or at least people learn maybe from the wrong sources that discourages a lot of women and men to take the vaccine so I wanted to know what you both have to say about COVID vaccine and its potential cause of infertility and if there's any evidence out there that supports that. I'll let Dr. Plenty start. And the reason is she recently talked about this on her Pregnancy Pearls podcast. So I'll let her start. And if there's anything I can add, I'll definitely add. Okay. Girl, I actually recently talked about this this morning. Listen, people got to be smart about this thing. People have got to be smart. And I know that people are like, I don't know what's in that vaccine, so I don't want to take it. I'm like, did you look it up? Right. You know, because people say things and I'm like, there are solutions to the questions that you have. Like, did you talk to your OBGYN about it if you're pregnant? Did you talk to your primary care physician about it if you're not pregnant? Did you actually look up the ingredients? Are you following, you're talking about all these things you see on social media. Are you following the CDC on social media? Are you following the American College of OBGYNs on social media? So I think that people are just believing whatever they want to believe because they're not doing their due diligence and actually looking it up. So if you have a question, ask somebody and ask somebody that has the knowledge to give you an answer that's not just pulled out of the air, okay? The COVID-19 vaccine, there's three. 
that are here. Mm-hmm. You got the mRNA, two mRNA vaccines, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine that are the mRNA. Yes, it's a new vaccine, but mRNA vaccines have been around for a really, really long time. Just not this mRNA vaccine. But we know that they have to be basically frozen <laughs> negative 74 for Pfizer and negative seven degrees for Moderna in order for them to remain active. Mm-hmm. And so they're injected in a certain time frame after they're uh, unrefrigerated and then they have to be discarded. And the reason they have to be stored at such low temperatures is so they won't degrade. So as soon as that mRNA vaccine is injected, you have a spike protein that's released and then your body is making antibodies against the spike protein. There's no virus that's injected into your body. It's mm. just a spike protein, okay? And it, it's being degraded very quickly, okay? So it's sort of like, we gonna warm this sucker up, inject it real quick, get your body to make a new response, and then your body is gonna, like, break it down real quick. It does yeah. not go into your cells. It does not change your DNA fabric. And all of these myths of, I don't know what this vaccine is gonna do to my fertility, although it's not around but three three minutes after it's injected, into me is like just foolish. I mean, because if people knew how the vaccine really worked, they would know that they sound foolish. Right. Saying all the myths out loud as to why they don't want this vaccine. Can the vaccine have side effects? Yeah, yeah. They, have, they have side effects because your body is mounting an immune response. Can you get fever and chills and flu-like symptoms? Yeah, because your body- but It doesn't mean you have COVID because right. you right. have those <laughs> Your body is mounting an immune response. And just because your friend- had COVID and she only had loss of taste doesn't mean that when you get COVID that you're not going to be in the ICU intubated if you're not vaccinated. And people don't know, oh, we don't know the long-term effects of COVID, uh, of uh, the vaccine. Yeah, you're right, because vaccine only been around for two years, okay? We know that it's degraded by your body, but we don't know what 10-year follow-up is going to be. But you know what else we don't know? What the 10-year follow-up is going to be after you get covid Right. <laughs> because COVID causes vascular damage. It causes pulmonary fibrosis, which is like basically a hardening of the tissue that lines your lungs. So it can cause some really bad things. And, and people that get COVID have a higher risk of miscarriage, have a higher risk of stillbirth. But nobody's talking about that. I was going to touch on that, too. I was going to say, let's talk about the things that we do know. Let's right. talk about the fact that the amount of miscarriages and IUFDs, which is stillbirth, that I have seen since this pandemic has started, has been more than I've seen in my 10 years of practicing. But when you people don't want to talk about that, they don't want to talk about how Having COVID is a prenatal complication. Having COVID unvaccinated in a pregnant woman, I have many friends in different states who say that they have not had one single pregnant patient with COVID that has gone on the vent, come off the vent. Hmm. So... People don't want to talk about that, but they want to talk about things that they read online from all of these conspiracy theorists when we know that women and COVID and pregnancy do not have a good outcome. And what Dr. Equa was talking about, like, so you have people that need to be ventilated because they're not oxygenating and they go on pregnant and then they got to be delivered and they come out and they have a baby. Okay. And some of those patients need to go on to ECMO. Now, once you get to ECMO, which is basically like a machine pumping your blood for you, you're in a bad position. Like your maternity rate, your mortality rate is super high going on ECMO. And most people, 80%, if you survive, still have some type of long-term complications. But we're not talking about that. And then we have to deliver these patients preterm. If we can't ventilate them before we put them on ECMO, then you're talking about a 26, 28, 30-week baby that's in the ICU in the NICU. And what are their long-term side effects from that? One, COVID can be transplacental, so your kid can get it. But two, even if they don't, you're talking about the increased risk of morbidity because of prematurity. Yeah. Because you didn't want to get a vaccine because you didn't know what it would do to the baby. Meanwhile, you either have gotten really sick and you're doing more harm to your child by making your child be delivered preterm. It, it just, it blows my mind. It blows my mind. And I get a consult about COVID every single day, every day, every day. It's almost to the point where I'm disgusted because I know that this could have been prevented, the severity of it all with a vaccine. Right. And all of this, like, it's an individual choice. 
Like all of that is like so like selfish American shame on you mentality is like, it's shameful. It's shameful is what it is. Because it's like, oh, I wouldn't get sick if I got the vaccine, so I'm not going to get it. So knowing that you can walk around healthy and maybe an asymptomatic carrier and give it to your elderly next door neighbor who could die. So we have to start thinking for a community, yeah. the greater good, our kids that can't get vaccinated. Like just because you can't get vaccinated, I don't want you around my child. Don't ask me to come to brunch with you. You're not vaccinated. And then right. I'm going to go home and be an asymptomatic carrier because I'm vaccinated. I probably wouldn't get any symptoms. And infect my kid. Right. Like people aren't thinking. People aren't thinking. They're like, we have freedom of choice. I'm like, yeah, we see. <laughs> listen, listen. You know, back in the day, seatbelts used to be optional, right? Oh, people were protesting back in the day hmm. about wearing seatbelts because it's my choice to wear a seatbelt. <laughs> Now is the law, right? Now we had to make it a rule. We had to make it the law to make sure that people weren't killing each other on the road. Yeah. And people protested that for years. It's the point where, you know, manufacturers weren't even making seatbelts in the cars. And now you can't buy a car without a seatbelt. It's going to come to that with these vaccines. Yeah, I hope so, though. Lose their jobs, get fired. Do whatever, and eventually people are going to be like, well, I guess I got to go work somewhere, and let me go ahead and get this vaccine. And knowing they could have gotten it like a year before, and we could be done with this pandemic, and they're going to wait until there's like some other variant that's resistant, and that we that's resistant to this vaccine, and then we're going to all be exposed again. Right. Because now we got to develop a new vaccine for this super-duper variant that's that the vaccine isn't targeting. That's what happens when you wait a long time. People think, oh, the vaccine is going to be around. And it's going to always be effective. No, the more this virus replicates, yeah. the less effective the vaccine, the vaccine really is until all of a sudden the virus is unrecognizable to the right. vaccine and it's not effective. So the rush and the push with the you know administrators to get this thing done is because we know there could be another variant that's on the rise that doesn't test this vaccine. And then we're going to be cascading all again Shut down of this, shut down of that. Sick people here, sick people there. Yeah, but we won't, we won't be be able to to, to not get vaccinated because our choice, and we want to make sure we don't have to wear a mask. It's our right not to wear a mask either, right? <laughs> but then they want to go get monoclonal antibodies, right? Yeah. Which you don't know what's in that either. Exactly. exactly. People are more willing to get mon. I've had so many pregnant women that they're standing in line to get monoclonal antibodies but they were so against getting vaccinated yeah like make it make sense people make it make sense yeah that's that's uh that's that's crazy there was this uh, meme i read on social media one time and this girl was saying that a lot of people will take over-the-counter supplements which are not even fda reviewed or approved but they would no. not take a vaccine that is FDA approved, you know, like or that prescription medication, right? Or like those herbs y'all taking, that ain't <laughs> FDA approved, mm-hmm. right? The vaccine is okay, right? So it's it it just doesn't make sense, you know. But I hope that you know a lot of people can be encouraged because. I mean, there's not one person I know. I mean, my parents live in Africa, so they've taken it. My mom is obliged to take it because of her position. And I mean, she's she has to take it if she has to encourage other doctors to take it. But I know a lot of people, for example, in Cameroon who, you know, I, I believe, well, in Ethiopia, my parents live in Ethiopia, so they have the AstraZeneca vaccine in Ethiopia. But I know in Cameroon, they have like some, I, I, I don't even know the name, but I believe it's from China. So the fact that it's from China, nobody will, I know nobody who wants to take it. I have begged and begged my uncles, my relatives who are even high risk. They're like, nope, China started this and they're trying to give us a vaccine again. That's going to, you know, kill us. They're trying to kill us, you know? So it's just that false ideology that they have. So no one has actually opted to take the vaccine. And I hope that, you know, when people hear about these things, it doesn't even matter where it comes from because a lot of this pharmaceutics or these drugs, they have like clinical trials in different parts of the world, including China. So, I mean, I just hope that people can learn to just, you know, stick to the facts and do the research for themselves and be more informed to make that informed decision to take the vaccine. And I believe, I mean, amongst pregnant women, especially, or women trying to conceive, the verdict is that it's very, very advisable to take the vaccine, the COVID vaccine, regardless of 
what it is, like which company made it, it's very advisable to take that. So now I just wanted us to brush through like a few, based on both of y'all's practice, a few therapeutic remedies or therapeutic options rather for infertility that couples can potentially explore. Um, What do you have to say about that, Dr. Equal? So there's, at the end of the day, it goes back to what the cause of infertility is. But just briefly, there's, of course, there's medication. So if a female is had like Dr. Plenty talked about PCOS and not ovulating, there's medications to assist in ovulation. If that's person's cause of infertility, uh, we've talked about removal of fibroids. If that's an issue, you have what's called intrauterine insemination. So if we have a male factor when it comes to the sperm, whether it be low sperm count or issues with motility, you can go to a infertility specialist where they take that male factor out. So the man would ejaculate into a cup. They essentially wash the sperm and inject it directly into the the woman's uterus. And then you have more, and a lot of times people think infertility and they always jump to IVF, which yes, can be expensive. But Those are some options before getting to IVF, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, you take the egg from the female, you take the sperm from the uh, man, you, you fertilize that pregnancy brain, you fertilize (laughs) it in a Petri dish. And then, you know, after a set amount of days, the fertilized embryo is put back into the female. So it really depends on a, the cause of the infertility and really how aggressive a couple wants to be right out of the gate. And I tell people that all the time, just because I'm sending you to the infertility specialist does not mean you're going and you're going to get IVF. There's lots of different options depending on the cause. Thank you very much. And so what do, I mean, I know going into sick fertility treatment could be nerve wracking and, you know, there's so much unknown, there's so much uncertainty. So what do you think couples need to know before, you know, going to seek the fertility treatment? I was just going to say, I tell them not to be nervous. It's all about knowledge. Just like you came to me, just like a person comes to me to seek that knowledge. I'm just sending you to the infertility specialist to seek more knowledge and to seek out your options. Just because you go to see these these doctors does not mean you have to embark on the road that they set forth for you. So it's not something that should cause any undue stress. You just, every, we're always, we're in the time of the internet where people get on Google and they're looking for information. That's all it is. Seeking advice from an infertility specialist is merely seeking information to see how you can get to the goal that you want. Right. Thank you. Do you have anything to add to that, Dr. Plenty? I would say just because you're going to see a fertility specialist, it doesn't mean that the light is going to flip on and all of a sudden you're going to be pregnant. Like you're going to have to talk through options. You're going to have to be patient in the process You need to have the time, especially if you're going through IVF, you need the time to be dedicated to get lab work done, to get egg retrieval done, to get testing on those embryos before they're implanted. Like it's a process is what I have to say. It's a process from optimizing your health and with a preconception consult to going to a fertility specialist and getting counseling there and then narrowing down what was the best option for you and then going forward with that option. It's a process, but it's better to know whether or not you have infertility issues now than for you to wait five years and then find out you have infertility later when the quality and the number of your eggs has now decreased. So I would tell people, don't be afraid. Go ahead and start the process. You know you want to be pregnant. Go ahead and seek the counsel and, and, and go from there. Even if you're like, I know I want to have kids, but I'm like 30 and I don't have a mate, like that may be a good time for you to figure out how to optimize your health and then whether you need to have like an egg, you know, egg freezing at that point, especially if you know, like, I don't know if I'm going to get married. I haven't found anybody. I'm not dating anybody like that before 35 is like a really good time to have uh, your eggs frozen and just in case you want that option to conceive um, on your own later on. But and it doesn't mean that you have to use your eggs. I mean, you can, you know, still get pregnant naturally, but if you, you know, are somebody that's like, I am busy, I have in my career and I'm, you know, 
starting to get a little older, I'm approaching 35, like get the infertility consult to figure out what your options are there. Right. Thank you very much. So just adding to that, because I was just thinking that depending on the cause of fertility, I would imagine that there are ways to prevent cases of infertility or at least decrease the chances of infertility. So what can you add to that, Dr. Equo, in terms of depending on the cause of fertility? And this that goes back to just what the cause is. So obesity can affect fertility. So obviously healthy diet and exercise. We know obesity can cause diabetes, high blood pressure, a woman to be unable to ovulate. So weight loss, having a healthy BMI. But at the end of the day, some of these things are unavoidable. Right. So a lot of the causes of infertility are unavoidable. And so that goes back to the myth of, especially in women, we are the cause of our infertility. So by me saying, oh, you can do X, Y, and Z to to prevent infertility, it's perpetuating that myth that we cause infertility or we the, we're the only reasons for infertility. Right. Do you have anything to add to that, Dr. Plenty? I mean, as we age, your ovarian reserve is going to decrease. Like there's no skating around that. Like I wish that it wasn't like having been someone in the medical field that got married after fellowship. So I was 33 when I got married. Like I wish I had like, man, I wish I had a little more time. Like I wish I could like travel a little bit more and like maybe finish this first three year contract because most people don't stay in their first job you know, after three years, more people move. Like, I wish that wasn't the case and I could feel like I had all the time in the world. But the fact is that your fertility rate decreases. And that's why there are reproductive endocrinology and infertility specialists to help us if we have pro- trouble with fertility. But just naturally, if you wait long enough, everyone will deal with infertility. Everyone. Everyone mm. will deal with infertility if you wait long enough. Right. Well, that's that's very interesting. Thank you both for sharing that. Now, I hope the audience have learned a lot so far about infertility and sometimes the expectations from both ends, especially when it comes to the community. So how will you guys advise that our communities can be supportive towards couples who are you know, experiencing infertility, even if they may not be of the know about the fact that they're actually suffering from infertility? I know, Dr. Plenty, you had shed a lot of light on it earlier, but what advice will, especially from an OBGYN perspective, because I believe you guys actually experience firsthand what these couples or women or men go through when trying to conceive. So what will you advise our community on the outside to do, you know, in order to be just be supportive of people who are trying to conceive? Respectfully, Mind your business. I was just <laughs> going to say that. You stole the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, mind your business. I mind mean, your business. The only way you can support people, like, stop trying to feed people. Stop right. trying to, I mean, people are like, oh, you need, you're too skinny, so I'm going to feed you. Stay in people, stay in your lane. Right. Stay out of my uterus. Right. Stay out of women's uteri. <laughs> Don't ask them when they're going to get pregnant. Don't ask them why they haven't got pregnant. Don't ask them when they're having another child. Just mind your business. And that is how a community can stay supportive because you don't know what someone is going through. Right. You don't know how long they've been trying or if they're trying or if they're even interested. Not right. every couple that gets married wants to procreate. So just mind your business. Right. And when right. you see that they're pregnant or when they mention to you that they're pregnant, congratulate them and move, keep it moving. Right. right. I know it says, you know, it takes a village, but realistically, yeah, you might babysit a time or two, but you're not paying no bills. Right. You're not paying bills. You're not the person going to run this child to the doctor. You're not going to be the person that's up late at night. You're not going to be the person really taking care of it. Ultimately, the buck stops at the parent. So it's not your business to inquire about what's going on in people's bedrooms. Right. Or how many children they're going to have or when they're going to start having children. Mind yours, please. Or why you have so many children. Right. Right. 
when people <laughs> ask me, oh, are you on your first? No, this is my third pregnancy. And the way they're, I, th- that's none of your business. Right, right. <laughs> none of your business. <laughs> right. That's, that's, that's very true. And sometimes I try to tell, I mean, my family knows already not to ask questions, <laughs> but you know, there are just some nosy ones, like one of my aunties and she was talking about, oh, you know, I need to start having kids. There are a lot of women out there trying to conceive and I'm testing God by not having kids. And I, I asked her, I'm like, do you know what I'm going through? Like, you don't, you didn't even ask like, or what I mean, you've been through. Right. Like you just don't say no, stuff no, like that. No, I'm you worry about our own kids <laughs> right <laughs> so i mean i i just didn't understand you know i mean I, I i was jokingly responding but i wasn't you know i i was not i didn't find it funny you know because you, you don't know what people go through and you just don't talk carelessly like that you know so i i really want to thank both of you for shedding more light on that and also for your advice to our communities so how can the listeners reach out to you both maybe for services or or any kind of professional advice. Okay, so she's pointing up. So uh, I'm Dr. Nicole Plenty. I work for Obstetrics MFM Specialists of Houston. Uh, my main office is based in Katy, Texas. You can find the, the link to my office on my link tree, which is linktree.com forward slash pregnancy pearls. I'm also on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls um, and Facebook at pregnancy pearls. I have a podcast called pregnancy pearls with Dr. Plenty and I also have a YouTube channel called pregnancy pearls with Dr. Plenty, which is just youtube.com forward slash pregnancy pearls with Dr. Plenty, where you can get quick tips on pregnancy information. The podcast is a lot more extensive than that. We had Dr. Echo on as a guest recently <laughs> on the podcast as well. So y'all go check that out. Right. Thank you so much. What about you, Dr. Echo? So I'm, like we said, Dr. Temi Tope Equo. I practice in the med center at Women's Hospital of Texas. I'm located at 7400 Fannin Street, Suite 1200. I am always taking new patients, pregnant, non-pregnant, trying to get pregnant, later stages of life. Right. Our contact number is 713-799-9900. Or you could get on our website and specialists in obstetrics and gynecology. Thank you both very much. And you guys are very, very awesome. I must add that for anyone looking for an OBGYN, especially in the Houston, Katy area, these are my two go-to people. And I really appreciate you guys. I will be putting in the contact information in the show notes as well for anyone who could not catch what they said. But I just want to really thank you guys for such a very informative conversation. I learned a lot myself and I hope that the audience also learned. And I hope that this conversation doesn't end here. I hope we can take this conversations to us circles and spark certain topics and further discussion on ways that we can be supportive of one another and i just want to thank you both again and i will see you in the next episode bye that's it for today thank you for listening to our show if you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com also don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at living african podcast you can also connect with anyo directly on facebook or instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.